Hey, it's Alana, and here's another episode of Black and Yellow Solo Cast. Welcome back, Black and Yellow Nation. Here's another episode coming at you. If you're a first-time listener, I'm stoked to have you with me today. Be sure to subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. And if you're a return listener, I am equally as excited to have you back once more for today's episode. It's a really great one because I don't know about you, but at the start of this year, I had all sorts of high hopes for 2021 to be everything that 2021 was not. And they're not quite shaken out quite the way I had hoped. Uh, I thought that vaccines would become available. I would get mine. My loved ones would get theirs. I would wait for my COVID liberation day. Remember those? Uh, And then once I was fully inoculated, I would try to figure out how to relive life post-COVID while the world opened up phase by phase. I was excited to get back to doing things I loved, like going to concerts and shopping in vintage stores and playing dodgeball and traveling. And if you're listening to this show in real time, you know that we are in our fourth wave of the COVID pandemic. We're contending with the very contagious Delta virus and life is just not panning out the way that I and I'm sure many other people hoped it would. Uh, It feels like the world is in one long, uh, daunting transition period, which I know can feel really overwhelming and exhausting and chaotic. I can definitely say that the thoughts that race through my mind nowadays can sometimes make my brain feel like a very inhospitable place. And if you can relate to any of these feelings, then today is going to be a great episode for you. I have an amazing guest on today who just published a new book all about mindfulness and meditation. She's going to be talking about how we can live a present and mindful life in our modern day world, how we can contend with all of the distractions and the noise out there. She's going to be breaking down some uh, some myths surrounding life and meditation. And we're going to be talking about where we can find magic in our lives every single day. Um, if you have been meaning to, to be more mindful and haven't found the time or don't think you have the time, I promise you, you do. Give this episode a listen. I think you're going to like what you hear. But before we do that, let's put our money where our mouth is, shall we? So this is the episode, or this is the segment, I should say, of this episode, where I like to encourage listeners to diversify their dollars. Everyday forms of protest can be had in where you choose to spend your money. And on this show, I love to encourage my listeners to shop Black, shop Asian as often as possible, whether you want to diversify your dollars or maybe you want to shop smaller and not do big corporations and big companies. Maybe you're watching your carbon footprint. Maybe you just want to diversify what you have in your home and your offerings and things of that nature. This is the this is the segment for you. So I'm going to kick it off with my Black-owned company. It's Henry Face Masks. You know, it looks like we're going to be wearing face masks for a good while longer. So if you need to refresh your face mask wardrobe, as I do, uh, do so with Henry Face Masks. It's a subscription mask service that delivers either a two-pack or a four-pack of face masks to your home every month, which is great if you forget to grab your face mask on the way out the door like I do. 
Henry face mask packages. I basically pick them up, put them in my car, and they never leave. I open them and just sort of tuck them away. And whenever I think I don't have a face mask, haha, I do. Uh, they're three ply reusable face masks, and they come in packs of four or two in various color palettes, like sophisticated and neutral and colorful. So you're always going to be looking fly. You're always going to have a face mask to match with your mood or your fit. Check them out if your supply is running low or if your current ones have seen better days. No judgments. Mine were too. It's probably time for a refresh. Head on over to henrymask.com to get your monthly face mask fill. And on to our Asian-owned company, Great Nola. That is G-R, the number eight, N-O-L-A. They are that on socials as well. Great Nola, I got to tell you, my household is really a granola-eating household. It is our form of potato chips. And so I learned about Great Nola while prepping for this episode, and I am really excited to try it once I finish recording this. Uh, Great Nola was started as a side hustle by Erica Lou Williams. It's granola that's free from all the bad stuff. The refined sugar and dairy and soy and GMOs, and it comes in a lot of different flavors. I personally have been eyeing the peanut butter and the cinnamon chai, but I know there's a matcha there as well. Uh, And I just love that William said she feels it's her responsibility to use her platform to share her perspective and the voices of others in the AAPI community. So head on over to greatnola.com to get your granola fix. I will drop links to both of these businesses in show notes for all your shopping needs. And with that, let's get to today's episode. Her name is Rebecca Pacheco. Rebecca Pacheco is a yoga and meditation teacher with more than 20 years of experience and the author of the new book, Still Life, The Myths and Magic of Mindful Living. Her first book, Do Your Own Thing, was published in 2015 and was named one of the top 10 yoga and meditation books, Every Yogi Needs by Yoga Journal, and is used in teacher trainings across the United States. Previously, she founded and wrote the popular blog OMGAO, and it ran from 2008 to 2015. She's the creator of the Runner's World Yoga Center, as well as videos for Runner's World and Women's Health Magazine. She appeared on NPR and the CBC, has been featured in Forbes, The Hindu India, The Huffington Post, Reuters, and USA Today, and frequently contributes to the Boston Globe, covering a range of mind body topics. She holds a Bachelor of Arts in English Literature from the University of Richmond and lives in Boston with her family. Rebecca Pacheco, welcome to the Black and Yellow podcast. Thank you, Alana. I am delighted. Hello. Hello, Yellow and Black Nation. (laughs) you. This is going to be a good talk. I have a feeling. Uh, Same. Likewise. (laughs) (laughs) So why don't we start out by having you tell our audience a little bit more about you and the work that you do? Sure, sure. So I'm a yoga and meditation teacher with now more than 20 years of experience in those worlds. And I've worked with, you know, yogis of all levels and stages of life from Olympians to firefighters and ballerinas to you know, corporate folks, college students, you name it. Um, And I'm also a writer. 
I, I have always been a writer. I was the type of child who rebelled by staying up past my bedtime, like under the blankets with a flashlight reading. I mean, that was my, my, my rebellion, really, truly. Um, and, you know, I've written a couple books. One of them came out in 2015, Do Your Own Thing. And then the most recent, Still Life, The Myths and Magic of Mindful Living is, as of this conversation, one week old. So that's exciting. Um, and I'm also- Congrats. A, yeah, thank you. And I'm a frequent contributor <laughs> to the Boston Globe, among others, uh, where I write about usually mind, body, spirit-related topics, uh, often all three. As you know, those things are inextricably linked. Um, I, I really enjoy exploring mindfulness strategies within modern, messy, real life. Um, I <laughs> like to talk about creative life, what, what it takes to have a creative life, what that means, what it entails, uh, the natural world. I am really interested in, you know, talking about motherhood, feminism. I'm an unapologetic feminist. Um, yeah, justice yes. issues. I mean, I really think it all folds into well-being. You know, I, I like to take the wellness industrial complex to task sometimes. I know that you and I have that in common already, Alana. Um, <laughs> yes. so I, I just yes. I like to, to shed light where I can and help folks where I can. We've been in the midst of really stressful, uncertain times. And so hopefully uh, this book is is helpful. And then, you know, I've written in just about every medium and I've worked in a lot of different industries. My path has been extremely windy and I'm just happy that it brought me to today. <laughs> so here I am. I'm thrilled to have you here. And I know that you have, you've said this before, but I'm just going to blow up your spot and say it again because I think it's really tight. You just <laughs> published your second book. That is no uh, small feat uh, at all. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm definitely giving you tons of, it's really exciting. Like I'm giving you all the accolades and all the positivity because this second book is really, really good. Uh, for those of you who have been longtime listeners of the show, Katie is not with us. Uh, she's got a little bit of personal stuff going on at home, but She's been reading Rebecca's book. I've been reading Rebecca's book. We both have really enjoyed the tools and the insight that Rebecca's book has given. So her second book is called Still Life, The Myths and Magic of Mindful Living. I mean, who doesn't want to live mindfully, right? Uh, again, congratulations. Thank and I want to ask, what made you want to write this book? And was the timing on the release of this book intentional or coincidental? <laughs> it, it, it feels like the right book at the right time. And I just, I'm wondering. I am so glad that it feels like the right book at the right time. I will, you were so kind to, uh, to, to cheer me on with, with yes. the second book, but I will drop the T right away. Um, you might think that the second book is easier than the first. And it was so much harder. <laughs> really? Yes. Yes, indeed. I mean, oh. part of that, you know, part of that, I've, I've heard that that's common for writers. Part of that is also because I became a mother in between the two books. Congratulations. And I don't know if you've heard, but motherhood is rather time consuming. Um <laughs> 
child care is rather expensive and we'll just we'll drop the social issues right away um child care is basic infrastructure let's just get into it right now um i know that you have a politically engaged audience so i can i can joke um but yes the second book was harder it actually you know i intended for it intended for it to come out sooner um life got in the way as it often can and things were slowed down and the book was largely written before the pandemic but this is quite interesting the pandemic happened it started and we really pumped the brakes we you know my you know my child was now home we were in lockdown my publisher no one was in the office clearly they're in new york city so we just sort of everything uh, hit pause. The world hit pause, right? And in mm-hmm. terms of the writing, I was still on a deadline, but my editor was very generous with the time. And she, we, we had a quick conversation, and I said, "Should I be incorporating this?" And she said, "Not yet, because we're we're it's too early. We're in it, and we don't know yet." Okay. So, and I love your face. Okay. It, people who can't see you, her face is, her <laughs> eyebrows are doing, Alana's eyebrows are doing all kinds of beautiful things. It's like, like, uh, it's a wow. very suspenseful story. <laughs> well, so, so then what happened is months went by. Now we're, we're approaching summer of 2020. At that point, my publisher, still very generous, still very gracious, is sort of like, okay, now clock is ticking. Let's, we gotta, we gotta wrap this baby up. So now it no longer makes, like some of the book no longer makes sense. One of the first chapters was about how stressful our work commutes are. I mean, there were references that no longer (laughs) fit. And and more than that, the world had changed radically. And here I was, I had always intended to write a mindfulness book about modern life. And now life had changed. So I didn't want to write a pandemic book. But I needed to, it needed to have an awareness of the moment. So then I went back in Mm. and I finished it with an awareness of the moment. So there, but it was a little bit like a sweater, like you don't want to pull a thread and then undo the whole thing. So I had to be careful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so what is reflected (laughs) about the pandemic and what's reflected about life Uh, as we know it now is it's kind of subtle, you know, sometimes it's overt, but I also wanted it to be, I didn't want it to be time stamped in the pandemic and be stuck here. Right. Cause obviously no one wants to be stuck here. I wanted it to evoke Mm -hmm. the experience of mindfulness while reading. So I didn't want it to be stressful to be too buried and too entrenched in the issues of the moment, right? So it wa- I needed it to have an awareness, mm-hmm. but not be stuck there. So to your to your point, that was a very long winded way of saying uh, no. Uh, it was not intentional. It just so happened <laughs> that, that this book is coming out when people really need its mindfulness, its reprieve, its resuscitation, its. Um, ability to slow down and steady and, and also understand that it's still life, even when it looks very messy, even when it is characterized by what we think of as quote unquote negative emotions or loss or any of that, it's still life. And, and what will we make of it? What will we do with it? How will we survive 
it? How will we take care of each other? Um, how will we take care of ourselves? So I, I hope it's helpful. I wish I could write that fast and intentional, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's incredibly helpful. And what's interesting is I was talking to my fiance about this a couple of weeks ago. All of those books about uh, feminism in the workplace, they all do feel so sort of dated now or like, you know, those books about office life or, you know, things like that. Like those books in a way do feel dated because our work structure is changing. And it feels like you... The book came at the perfect time because it feels like this is really a book to help us usher in what life looks like um, post-COVID. I say post-COVID in quotes because I realize we're still going through it. You're right. Yes. It's a really good shepherding book to have by you as you're figuring out whatever your new normal is, whether you are someone who has survived COVID and are figuring out the new normal, mind, body, and soul, or you're someone whose workplace is looking different. And so you're trying to figure out the best way to move through it gracefully and a- attack that change. I mean, I don't work, know you about know. you, but in my my personal life, did I interrupt you? Forgive me. No, no, no. Oh my God, please go for it. I mean, even in my personal life, my closest friends, I, even you know, my extended group, my extended family, I don't think I know one person that's not focused on changing something either small or pretty major. Yeah. No, I, I totally understand you. A hundred percent. And so I do think it is this opportunity, you know, we, we have to move forward, right? We're, we want to move forward, yep. but we want to do it with an awareness of what it, what is, like what is really happening. You know, there's this beautiful quote by Pema percent, who says, never underestimate the power of compassionately recognizing what's really going on. And I think that's, kind of the heart of it, like to compassionately acknowledge, recognize what's real, what's here and how we want to move forward. I thought that you were going to quote Aaron Duty Roy. So I actually had a different quote in my mind because I was as I was reading your book, I uh, thought a lot about her um, Her essay essay, uh, about the pandemic being a portal. Yes. And you get to leave behind whatever didn't serve you pre-pandemic and you can step into your new life, your new self, your new version of you. And you can choose what you want to bring and what you want to leave behind. And I felt a lot of that reading your book. Yes. That was such a beautiful essay. And I should have quoted that. You are right, Alana. You put the book out into the world and like, and, and it's, it's working on a lot of different levels. I think that a lot of readers are going to be super happy with, with what they read and what they find. In this. But you know, Definitely. she also says, you know, just to, to riff off your point a little bit. Um, she also says in that essay that, you know, a lot of folks want to go back to quote unquote normal, but yes. normal, normal wasn't working for a whole lot of people. I mean, definitely. And I think, listen, I think normal is a trap. Normal it will get you trapped and keep you trapped. I think it, yeah, normal, normal has trapped our environment. I mean, normal yeah. was not good for a lot of people. Normal was not good for the planet. And so it is incumbent upon us to pay attention. I mean, that's really what it all boils down to. Like you can call it mindfulness. You can call it being intentional. uh, You can meditate or not. It's just really about paying attention. I totally agree with you. And actually, let's talk about mindfulness and meditation, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. 
I think very often, and you said this in your book, uh, the words mindfulness and meditation, they tend to be used interchangeably. Yes. And, and it's not wrong. Talking about- no, no. But I think when you're talking about how to live present, happy and healthy lives, I do think there is a distinction. There's a nuance. There is. They're, they're not the same thing. You're right. They're, they, there yeah. is a distinction. And, and, you know, I do it too in conversation. And even in the book, I interchange the two words, but they're not the same. Um, so really quickly, you know, meditation is the practice. It's the formal practice that perhaps is done seated, doesn't have to be done seated, but we think of you're sitting down, you're dedicating time to letting your awareness, gathering your awareness, letting it land on a certain object or point of focus, most popularly the breath. Okay, that's meditation. Mindfulness is a state of being and you can do anything mindfully. You can drink your tea mindfully, you can chop your carrots for the soup mindfully, you can walk the dog mindfully. You can take a bath. <laughs> you can <laughs> sit and have a conversation with your beloved and really listen and pay attention. And so the essence is just that being in the moment. You know, John Cabot Zinn is kind of the pioneer of the mindfulness movement. Um, I reference him a lot. He has the book. He he's reading the book. He's read the chapters that relate to him. And but his definition is one that most people can agree on, which is uh, the awareness that arises from paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. So you can do that anywhere in your life at any moment. 100%. I completely agree with you. And I also and think each that- other. <gasps> yeah. they, they do. They do. And I think that what I loved also about your book is that you attacked meditation, not just from a, a stillness meditation, but moving meditation as well. We were talking off air about how I run. And I just recently discovered through your book and also via a friend that running is a form of moving of moving meditation and that's mm-hmm. just yes. as important as the seated focused on your breathing meditation the way that i think of it often is that the mind thrives in stillness but the body is nourished by movement and we mm-hmm. all have a body you know and it's important that we move our bodies and very often i'll hear that people can't quite sit and meditate until they've moved. And I think that it's a beautiful opportunity to incorporate, you know, mindfulness routines into your running. For example, there, there is a chapter on running. Um, you know, you could make your, your cool down a little bit more mindful, add some, some yoga stretches to it, some yoga postures, or just do a little walking meditation. Um, there are just so many elements of, of running in general, I find that are deeply mm-hmm. meditative. I mean, I know, we, like I said, we were chit chatting beforehand, you've run many marathons and half marathons. And I always say that in order to run a marathon, you must have the ability to meditate already. Because you cannot run a marathon, you know, with your mind or your your legs at mile two and your mind at mile 20. Like your mind and your body have to be at mile two. They have to run mile two. Then they have to run mile three. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and you have to keep them together. You can't let the mind get ahead. 
um, because Definitely. then it becomes a very long, painful day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, it's a long, yes. painful day regardless. Let's be yes. Fake. Let's be fair. But you know, you know, you know how that goes. You know how that. Goes. <laughs> A hundred percent. And also to any listeners who are runners, I will put this in the show notes. Rebecca's got some great uh, yoga for runners videos on YouTube that I will just drop in show notes if anyone is listening and, and they're like, wait, hold on. I want to add some some mindfulness or some good stretching to my running uh, routine. I will drop those for you. They're oh, great to check you. out. I use them when I was prepping for the LA Marathon. So I'm passing them along uh, for any runners who are looking to get back into running or looking to run their first marathon 10k half marathon whatever and and again you know they're not the same like i you 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 couldn't uh meditate and call it running and then show up to race a marathon and say i didn't train but i did a lot of meditation visualizing myself running like that doesn't work (laughs) right they're not interchangeable but it is possible to be a more mindful runner like you'd be in a world of hurt if you did that but um But it is very possible to make your running uh, more mindful and and to even use aspects of the energy of running in your meditation. Like sometimes I find meditation to be similar in that it requires endurance. You know, you sit down and yeah, sometimes the mind is a little bit rusty. It's a little noisy. It's sort of like your legs on a given day. You get out there and you're like, whose legs are these? I, what is going on? And you run a mile or two and you kind of <laughs> shake it off and then you find your rhythm. And sometimes sitting in meditation can be like that in terms of the mind's energy and the way the, the your thoughts run, right? hundred percent. Definitely. And then you come out of that half hour meditation and you're like, I did that. Like <laughs> I did that. I was focused. I was there. Like, Oh, I was, I was in it. Yes. A hundred percent. Um, let's talk about mindfulness in our modern day world. I know we were talking a little bit about it at the top of the show, but, uh, what are some of the obstacles that we face in achieving mindfulness in our modern day world and how can we overcome them? It's such a good question. Such an important question. And actually, I think the answer is in the question itself, because you asked about achieving mindfulness. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the tricky piece because meditation is not a performance-based activity. It's actually not something you achieve. And that sounds a little counterintuitive because meditation can help us achieve so much, right? Like it does help people. If you want to accomplish anything, you need the ability to focus. And here we are doing something among many, many benefits is going to help you focus. Okay. So there's a little bit of an irony here in that it can help with performance, um, but it's not a performance-based activity. We don't do it to get quote unquote good at it, right? We do it so that it supports our lives. And in a society that is really accustomed, even addicted to measuring, quantifying, counting, uh, algorithmically weighing and um, making one (laughs) worthy and not, and all of these metrics that are in our field of awareness all day long, in that kind of a society, it is deeply important and freeing to have a place in your life where you are not performing, where you are not doing meditation to be 
a better Alana or a better Rebecca, or you're just being with yourself and you're being a friend to yourself and you're making your mind a, a more hospitable place to be. You know, we don't practice meditation so that we yeah. can uh, be, you know, for some, sorry, let me rephrase. We don't do meditation yeah. for some projected result or better version of ourselves. We do it for the life we have right now. We do it um, so that we can be kind along the way. That doesn't mean that self-improvement is bad or wrong. I mean, of course, it's a very noble enterprise, sure. right? But meditation is with you for the ride. It's it's not about achieving mm -hmm. anything. And so what happens is that a lot of people start with that very, very good intention. I want to do this to make XYZ better in my life. And then they do the actual practice. Right. And how does it feel? It feels feels distracted. It feels boring. Not great. Yeah. <laughs> it, it feels noisy. Yeah. It feels uncomfortable. It feels itchy. It feels like what's for dinner. It feels like, mm -hmm. did I buy this? It Unintentional. Like, <laughs> and the mind just is kicking up yeah. all kinds of dust, right? And so what's really, really important is to know you're not doing it wrong. That is the nature of the mind. It thinks thoughts. You haven't messed up the meditation. You haven't screwed up the meditation. You just keep watching those thoughts. And over time, you build a little endurance, you know, to, to use our running metaphor again, you build a little bit of endurance. You build a little bit of compassion. You continue to watch those thoughts and eventually you gain some space from them. And the even the... And the even more important thing is that the meditation is serving you not just in those 12 minutes or five minutes or 20 minutes that you're doing the meditation. Sometimes it feels very lovely. It feels deeply relaxing. Yes, that is true. But even when it doesn't, yes. I mean, this is the part that's key. Even when it feels a little twitchy or distracted or boring or sad or whatever, you are a good friend to yourself. You stay with it. You stay with the breath. If you can, right? If it's not helpful, then you don't do it. Mm -hmm. if, it's, if it's making life worse, please don't do it, right? But what happens inevitably is that it's the other, you know, 23 hours and 40 minutes of the day during which you feel the benefits. So now you're, mm -hmm. you know, driving and someone yeah. cuts you off and you don't have the same level of reactivity or you mm -hmm. you know you're, you're not as likely to doom scroll right before bed because your brain is just unsettled and um you know wh however it manifests for you that's very valuable and and you start to see it pretty quickly and if you stay with it uh actually pretty quickly other people start to notice i mean that's also something very special is that the people around you start to feel that something's different yeah, definitely. Uh, personal experience. I started to meditate around the time that I wanted to strengthen my relationship with my mom. Oh. Um, and so I noticed that meditation really helped me in to not, you know, mother-daughter relationships can be 
fraught at times. Wow, and that's I wanted like, to that's ninja level. That's like yeah. ninja <laughs> Thank you. But but I mean, you know, you only have one mom and like at a certain point in time it was like, okay, Alana, you're a little too reactive and you are old enough to know better. And that was what inspired me to start meditating and our relationship is has forever changed and is so much stronger and calmer coming from me and I really do believe that is because of the meditation. That's full stop. That's major. Um, there, I want to say it's Ram Das. I believe it was Ram Das who said mm. something to the effect of, "Like you think you're so, in, if you think you're so enlightened, go spend a week with your family." Yes, yes, yes. I've heard that before. <laughs> you really took that to heart. Yes. I'm very impressed. <laughs> I feel like Ram was calling everybody in with that one. Like, oh, you think? Yes. Well, you just wait, right. and he's absolutely right 100% and and therein is again that nuance of of mindfulness is in every moment it's it's just living your life as though it mattered you know and paying attention yeah. to the people in your life and yeah yeah i it, yeah you it's talk so about important. Go, go. 100% you talk about um not living on autopilot Mm-hmm. And I do think that meditation is a way to switch that off if you are unconsciously living like that. Yeah. Does that make sense? I do. And that is very stressful for the brain, by the way. Like yes. For the, for the mind to be in so many different places. And, and this isn't just me saying this because I like meditation. Like, there, there's uh, plenty of research behind it. And, and, you know, I did some of that for the book and share various studies that, that I came upon, but the brain is not happy when it's in 22 different places in one moment. It's very stressful. The brain likes mm-hmm. to drop in. I mean, think about, you know, one beautiful moment that I had teaching. Um, I was leading a meditation workshop and a couple came Um an older couple. And as is the case with couples, maybe you're familiar, your listeners can relate. Oftentimes in the learning (laughs) environment, like one half of the couple is maybe more jazzed on the class than the other, right? And the other one kind of tags along. So that was the case with this pair. They were very lovely. He was more, (laughs) he was more interested than she was. She came along. She was a good sport. And then at the end, everybody was filing out. And she said to me, and I I mentioned this in the book, she said, you know, you made me realize why I used to make jewelry. And I said, oh, yeah. She said, yeah, I started to get really caught up in whether I should sell it. You know, she said, my grandson showed me Etsy and I thought I should sell it. And I got kind of caught up in basically the judgment of it, how good it was. And she realized in the meditation workshop that comparison trap, she just deeply enjoyed the experience of being in the moment of letting her brain focus on that one task of stringing beautiful beads on a thread, appreciating the colors, the textures, the creativity, you know, creative pursuits of, of any kind at all, um, are a beautiful way to be mindful. That's where creativity happens. You know, it's that click in the artist's mind or the writer's mind, mm-hmm. the actor's mind, where you think, hmm, I'm going to make something out of this. Like it's that yeah. awareness of the moment from the outside almost. 
it's that uh, seeing mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the definitely. moment as a witness. And then, and sometimes you'll hear, you know, musicians say the song wrote itself. I mean, these moments are, are rare and beautiful, but, but sometimes that can happen because sure. there's this heightened awareness of the experience, the details of the experience of the moment. 100%. I could not agree with you enough. And I think that not only are we, are we talking about clicking in and dropping in and living mindfully and meditating, but you're also busting a lot of myths in this book. Trying. And as that. a kid who watched a lot, no, succeeding, succeeding. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you your snaps where they're due because as a kid who watched a lot of Mythbusters growing up, it was actually very exciting to get a book like this that was breaking down a lot of myths that I don't think we necessarily realize that we're holding because we don't realize they're myths. We think of them as this is just the way it is. Yes. And so I wanted to ask you, so you, you broke your myths down into two different distinct groups. Why did you tackle and debunk the myths uh, that you did in the book this way? So you broke them down into life myths and meditation myths. And I was wondering why you chose that and um, or why you felt like that was important. And which myth was the hardest to bust? Oh, that these are great questions. All right. Well, <laughs> These are great questions. Okay. So I wrote the book more than once. I, I will tell you that. Uh, there were, <laughs> like any book, it required, you know, many revisions, many versions, many drafts. And there were a lot more myths in play that ended up represented in the end. But what I needed mm. was an ability to really dig in and make make a chapter out of it or 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 just make it worthwhile for people, right? And some mm-hmm. of them are so essential that once you kind of slay that dragon, then the others make less, like they're less necessary, right? So I wanted to really Got focus it. on the dragons, the big ones. And then it seemed, <laughs> it seemed that the, the key ones, you know, some of the key ones were about meditation explicitly, about the practice itself. And to your point, sometimes it's a perception or a miscomprehension that we just take at face value. Like, you know, the most common one is that we're supposed to stop our thoughts that we're the mind Mm -hmm. should go quiet or blank. And that's just not a true or B possible. And quite frankly, (laughs) and this is where I think, you know, to your, Many of your topics, your guests, your your audience is very invested in social issues, in the issues of the moment. To that point, I don't think the world needs fewer thinkers. (laughs) I I agree. I think it needs people who think with discernment, with clarity, with compassion. You know, so it's it's watching the thoughts, it's gaining a little bit of space between you and the thoughts, realizing that you are not your thoughts, that you can choose how and what to engage with, that you can, you can choose what really matters. So, you know, the thoughts are going to be there. You will meditate, you know, you can meditate for years and years and years, and you may still relitigate that same argument with your mom that you had in 1987. You know, like, I don't know. I mean, you probably weren't alive in 1987. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> but, no, totally fine. 
right? But but that's the idea is that we will have those thoughts. You know, I make the joke very frequently that that like 82% of meditation is meal planning. Like we're always going to be thinking about what the next meal is. That sure. is just how the mind operates. Um, but we start to develop some skillfulness around it. I always know I'm getting somewhere when I can have a sense of humor about it. When I'm like, really mm. that thought again, really, are we, are we talking about that yeah. again up there, Rebecca? <laughs> like, interesting. Interesting. You know, so, so I think wow. that okay. that's really key is understanding that the goal is not to stop our thoughts. It's paying attention on purpose without judgment, like the awareness that arises from doing that. It's this breath and now this breath and now this breath. And the beauty of it and the skillfulness of it is in the starting over. It's you get distracted, your mind wanders. The skillfulness is in the coming back because everyone listening right now, everyone on earth has had the experience of having to start over, of making a mistake. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe not you, Alana, but some of us make mistakes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, when I, when, I, when I used to talk to groups of people and when I used to sit in rooms with crowds of people, I would often ask, you know, how many of you have ever maybe once or twice made a mistake in your life? And they just b- bust out laughing, right? And so it's this ability to begin again to come back to this breath. Um, you know, so, so those were really key that I don't have time is a big one. I'm doing it wrong. Those just, they were so foundational and mm-hmm. so fundamental to the things that I hear from people because it, they would often be prefaced by, Oh, I really wish I could do meditation. I know it would be good for me, but, but. I can't stop my mind from yeah. thinking or mm-hmm. I can't, I don't have time, you know, so I wanted to help dispel that a little bit, just defang it, give it Mm. it less bite for people. And then for the- You definitely did. And I will tell you, go go for it. (laughs) I was going to say, I, you definitely did. And I'll tell you reading the myth of this will fix me. I was like, like okay Rebecca you're calling me out you're calling me out okay no, okay okay I'm calling myself out I promise I'm calling myself <laughs> out um so I, that was that's what I was going to say next was then there's this section on the life myths or kind of the stories that our ego tells us and how meditation can befriend the ego and befriend mm. the mind and and again kind of take the claws out of, out of those myths, because, you know, if I am very, very honest, I still think that meditation is going to fix me or that it should fix me. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that improving ourselves, being better people, kinder people, being a better parent, for example, for, for me, I have a young daughter, uh, you know, doing a good job, having, having the clarity to do a good job in this podcast, right. And have a clear perspective and get my point across. They're Mm -hmm. all really noble goals, like to want to perform well or do well, or, uh, to do good. These are all really noble. However, meditation is not that meditation is actually not self. Definitely. It can improve a great many things, but it is not self-improvement. It's, it's self-acceptance and it is acceptance and awareness of the moment as it is 
so that you can have some agency around what you want to do with it. And we don't help Mm. ourselves when we pile on, right? Like when we're sitting in meditation and we have a thought and then we're like, oh, you dummy, you messed it up. You can't even focus for two minutes, right? That doesn't help anything. So instead it's right, right. Totally. Yeah. And, and, you know, you spend any amount of time in meditation, you start to hear that voice in your head or the many voices and you start to realize that that may not even be your voice. And guess what? It's not your voice. It's, it, it could be, you know, <laughs> the voice of a, your, a caretaker. It could be the voice of the greatest critic in your life as you imagine him, her, or them, you know? Um, and so it's starting mm-hmm. to question that voice and to maybe occasionally replace it. I talk about replacing it with a kinder voice. And if you, you know, don't have a, a, a personal kind of voice or some, if you don't have someone, you know, personally that you could kind of channel their voice, you might have an inspiration in your life, a spiritual leader, um, an elder in your community. It could be a relative you never met. I mean, just a, the kindest, most supportive voice <laughs> that you need that says like, it's okay, we've got this. You know, and just sort of slowly, gently replacing the critical voices that tell us you need to do this. You need to meditate so that you can be better, smarter, faster, just to quiet those voices and to sit with yourself as you are and show up for yourself and befriend yourself. Because I think, honestly, most of us know how to do it intuitively as a friend for other people. We just get a little stuck. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I was actually going to say that exact thing is like, I think that everyone's capable of that, but I just don't think that those, those tools are in place to, uh, to always do it when we need to. I think that sometimes, and you say this in the book, like we befriend our darkness because it's easier. It's what we're more used to than befriending our light. So once we get through those myths, we can get to the magic. And you talk about magic in this book. And I want you to talk to us a little bit more about the magic that we can expect once we can clear through these myths. Yeah. I think that that's what I want people to take away is to feel empowered. You know, once we've dispelled some of the myths that keep people from meditating or keep people from some mindfulness practice within their own lives, then we can start to access more of the magic. Um, There's a beautiful quote that I reference in the book by William Butler Yeats. And he says, the world is full of magic things, patiently waiting for our senses to grow sharper. And I love Love that. that. It Mm -hmm. reminds me of, you know, anytime you've watched a sunset or I have a a young daughter, she's four years old. I mean, anytime she does anything new, it's truly magical. And that's kind of where I landed at the end is that we are the magic that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's not about performing meditation or doing it a certain way, or even calling it a certain thing. If you don't want to call it meditation, you don't have to. If if mindfulness doesn't ring true for you, that's okay. It's just about being in touch with your life as it's happening, feeling your feelings as you're feeling them, knowing what you're feeling, knowing what you're thinking as you're thinking it, and then having some discernment around, 
how you want to be in the moment and basically not missing your life mm-hmm. as it's happening. Um, you know, I was writing I this book that. coincidentally. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, I love that. I really, really love that, that, uh, that, that picture that you just put into my mind about finding magic wherever you can, because there's magic all around us. And I think right now, especially with the world being in this, this, this point of transition where we're going back to work, but we're kind of redefining what that means. We're re we're re sort of adjusting to living life and sort of reprioritizing. I do think that the everyday challenge and the everyday goal is to find the magic and all of the beautiful little things. Right. And how many of us, you know, have had a thought about something that we took for granted previously that now seems downright magical. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, hugging your friends is magical now. I mean, mm-hmm. but really it's just about having that openness and that awareness. And so maybe the meditation is the training, maybe the yoga is the training, but it makes you more available to the magic around you. And, and hopefully you feel it within your day-to-day interactions with people and with the planet and with your community and with the larger community. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I need, I'll pause there. No, no, I think it's great. I think that actually segues really nicely into our final question, which is how can we set ourselves up for mindfully living successfully? So there's a teaching that I really am fond of, and my students know it well by this point. I share it in the book. It's from a a teacher named Alan Watts, and he asks, so what is a good meditator then? One who meditates. (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) You know? So I think it's really about how do you meditate successfully? Well, you just have to do it. And what I try and give people in this book is the ability to choose a reasonable commitment to yourself to start. So start, start small, start reasonable, something that feels good to you. I start with as small as one minute. Um, I use that one minute meditation all the time in my own life. I've taught it frequently. You can stretch it out to be five minutes or more. You know, there are breathing exercises to do when you can't meditate. There are ways to make your daily run a little bit more mindful or meditative. There are ways to, you know, calm yourself down before you go to sleep at night. And so it's it's kind of choosing maybe a, a daily commitment that works for you, something that is perhaps in the neighborhood of formal meditation, and then just noticing throughout your day ways that you can be more present. And the more that you practice, the better you get at it and the more magic you're going to experience. And that doesn't mean that life will not be hard. It doesn't mean that life will not be uncertain, that it will be painful, that there is suffering, but it means that you'll be hopefully a bit steadier to handle it, steadier within yourself, steadier for your people, Um, And that's really, I think, what we all could use right now. And so I hope that that's the success that people find within their, their own practice. I think that was really well said. Yeah, you don't have to be good, but you have to be steady. That yeah. is a, a, one of my favorite quotes out of your book. Wasn't I love that, it so much. And Wasn't that brilliant? I, it was really, really great. It was a friend of yours, correct? It was a friend. After September 11th. <sighs> 
No, not September 11th. It was the weekend after the election, after Trump. Was- that's what it was. That uh, another national tragedy. Um, yeah. Yes, that's that's what it was. That's what it was. And I there I, it was such a load. I mean, the air felt it felt like 9-11, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I thought because some yogis sometimes in the yoga environment, <laughs> there's a little bit too much of the like ignoring the moment, right? We're all supposed mm. to list out. And I was like, I can't handle this. Like if we're going to pretend that everything's cool, I can't, I can't get on board. And so mm-hmm. I really thought, oh, how is this going to go? And I mean, I, I had an inclination that this, te- this teacher is a be- extremely astute, experienced teacher. I didn't really think that's the tack she would take. But when she said that, I thought, oh, this is, this is exactly what we need right now. Because it also didn't further inflame or agitate. Like it, it just put Mm. us back in a, in a place of power of like, you don't have to be good or happy. You do have to be steady. You do have to take care of yourself. You do have to be on the ground your feet have to be on the ground. And so I remind myself of that a lot. <laughs> so well said. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I, I just have to say another way to uh, successfully live mindfully is to pick up the book Still Life, The Myths and Magic oh, of no. Mindful Living by Rebecca Pacheco. I just have to say that I just got to put that out there. Oh, I have read it. Katie has read it. It's both helps helped us tremendously. So to anyone who's watching and who is really trying to navigate this uh, moment of transition, this phase of transition, uh, I cannot recommend this book enough. It's a great sidekick. It's a great tool. It's a great guide for really navigating this moment with your, your sanity, your happiness, your joy all intact. Thank you for that. That's really beautiful. I, um, I feel like I've met a friend today, Alana. I've, yes. I've enjoyed this talk so much. <laughs> and, well, it's not over yet. We got to do some fun rapid oh, fires. Oh, yeah. like, oh cool, cool. You know, like we know that you are an author two times over, Rebecca, but we want to know what's going on when you are not behind the pen and paper or not behind the laptop. All right. Okay. So I'm ready. <laughs> rapid fire question. There's no wrong answer. Just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Shall we? Yeah. Okay. What is your favorite yoga pose? Oh, it changes. Okay. <laughs> it changes all the time. You know, uh, 10 years ago, I would have said something really flashy like headstand. And now I would not mm. say that. <laughs> I would say something uh, in the twisting family right now. Like just a thread the needle is my cup of tea these days. Ooh. But a spinal twist, like... The type of thing you can kind of do any time of day when you wake up. Yes, Alana's twisting everybody. Her form is impeccable. <laughs> like, oh, that feels great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, just a little twist at your desk. <laughs> I would probably say something in the twisting family. Perfect. What was the last book that you read that left a lasting impression? So I am a, an avid reader. Um, I read nonstop. So it's very hard to narrow down, but I will share my favorite book of the year so far has been Writers and Lovers by Lily King. It is a a novel. It's fiction. And I just adored it. I'm like a one woman MLM for this book. I tell everybody I know (laughs) to read it. 
it just, it was delightful <laughs> in every way. It's about, it's about, you know, a writing life. It's about ambition. It's about, it's set in the mid to late nineties in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which I lived in Cambridge in the early 2000s. Oh. It's, it, it was extraordinary for a lot of different reasons. I, I, I'm very much a hybrid reader. Like I read equally uh, fiction and nonfiction, but in the pandemic, I could only read fiction. And so um, that, was, that <laughs> yeah. was one book that I adored. She's the, the protagonist is, is um, a waitress. And she, I even would like salivate reading because of all the restaurant and food like references because I wasn't going to a restaurant. It was the, the, you know, but it's been my favorite book of the Mm -hmm. year. It was just really left a mark and I adored it. Love it. Okay. Writers and lovers adding it to my reading list. Thank you for the wreck. You're welcome. Uh, What's your favorite form of moving meditation? So yoga obviously is the biggie. Um, I also am a runner, (laughs) as you know, uh, I have, although my running has, has slowed down significantly, I've had a little, some injuries and health issues. So I run a little less. I do walk a lot more now and I, I like to go for long walks. I live near, um, an arboretum and I, Ooh. I will get, you know, muddy, rainy, doesn't matter, snow, and I'll just go for long walks. And then also something I haven't done in a long time, but I actually find deeply meditative is boxing. I I write about that Ooh, in the book okay. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I I find you know learning right. new is is a beautiful way to really focus your attention. And so boxing for me was was very mm-hmm. new. I actually learned with with my friend George Foreman the third, and he would hold the mitts, and I just <laughs> I loved it. So I got in the ring with George Foreman, you know. Um, <laughs> He's not hitting me, thankfully. <laughs> no big deal. I did not hit him. Um, but, you know, he, he and he now has a, a, a boxing brand online. But at the time, he had a gym in Boston, lo, you know, local to me. And so I would go there. Um, and I write about that in the book. But I found it very, like, deeply um, concentrate ability. Sorry. I found it a great way to achieve, like, deep concentration because it was so new for my muscles. It was so new for my brain. Love it. <laughs> full body workout, full soul workout. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, Great. Yeah. Uh, and what was a recipe you could not stop? Sorry. Go for it. Go ahead. No, no. Silly. <laughs> What's the recipe you could not stop making last year? So it's not complicated. I'm sure a lot of people can relate. I started the pandemic cooking elaborate meals and like really – you know, I never did the sourdough thing, but I, I was trying new recipes and getting adventurous. And then I, I lost that momentum (laughs) and it became very tiresome. And so there's one dish that is very easy and it, it's totally fail proof and our whole family loves it. And it's basically spaghetti limon, Parmigiana, Mm, like noodles with, with lemon and Parmesan and everybody is happy and it's delicious. I make it with gluten-free pasta, but you can, it's wonderful no matter what. I mean, a little bit of, you know, a little carb or a little gluten-free pasta, a little bit of cheese, a little bit of citrus, like how can it really be bad, right? It's warm, it's simple, kind of goes with everything. It holds the next day. Then you can even make a frittata with it, with eggs the next day. Mm, Okay. Yes. 
So it good, good. That, All right, you got me salivating. That's one that's very easy that I I made a lot last year. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite album? I don't think this is a fair question. I have a lot of trouble with this, Alana. It's too difficult. <laughs> it's way too difficult. But I, machine but I gun them off to me. You can have more than one. Okay. Well, I will say that I one that I mention explicitly in the book is the miseducation of Lauren Hill. Mm-hmm. Because I realized in terms of albums in my lifetime, that is one that is deeply embedded in my being at this point. Mm-hmm. And the way that I realized it was when you have a, a baby, I, when my when my daughter was an infant, you know, you're often told to sing to the baby. And I realized very quickly, I knew like zero lullabies. I knew, I knew none of them. You, you try and think of the word, like you try and think of the words and you think that you know them and then then you don't. And that was what happened. So it became this very strange amalgam of like, take me out to the ball game and twinkle, twinkle, little star. And then the miseducation of Lauren Hill. Like that was the album that I knew the most words by memory. Um, mm. And so that's how I realized, wow, this is definitely the epic, like top of the top album list. Um, I I also think that in terms of my lifetime blueprint by Jay-Z, mm. you know, the 2001 era that was very big and remains one of my favorites. I just talked, you love it. I know we're, we're all like pitter patter mm-hmm. holding our hearts right now. Um, I just talked mm-hmm. about lemony noodles. And so I have to obviously pay my respects to lemonade i just love that album yes. you know her <laughs> eponymous album too beyonce by beyonce i love that album as well i mean um you know to have the refer the the i love the um sorry i love the sampling on flawless with one of my favorite authors chimamanda ngozi adiche like yeah, so it's very yes. hard to choose. Mm-hmm. And then I'll throw in a fun kind of like random mix it up. I, I sort of love anything by Fleetwood Mac. That's kind of my chill kitchen music. Yeah. So yeah. sure. Yeah. So those are those are kind of my top of the top. <laughs> Love. No, I love that. I love that you love the miseducation of Lauren Hill because my favorite album is the score by the Fugees. Oh. So I'm very much right there with you. You are in terms right of there that, with me. That that type of music, that time yeah. that that kind of music was coming out. I also I got really nerdy during the pandemic, and I really wanted to know as much as possible about that specific album. Yeah, I only to come to realize they never performed that album live. Like wow. they made the album, and there was so much friction. That they eventually split up, split apart, and Lauren made the miseducation. Right. And uh, so now I'm holding out. I'm a big festival goer, and so now I'm the kind of person who's like, okay, I want a Fuji's set with a Lauren Hill closer oh, at oh. Outside Lands. Like, how amazing would that be? But I, so, but I'm right there with you. I get yeah. it. The miseducation of Lauren Hill is tight. It, it's an album that never ages. It's going to be just like your book. It's never going to age. Like, oh. I'm right there. And also, I hear you from the top to the bottom like the whole thing when you say 
when you say album, it is a full mm-hmm. experience. I mean, lemonade is also like that. Like the whole thing, you consume it in totality. Whereas mm-hmm. there are a lot of great tracks from a lot of great artists in my life that I would die for. But when you say album, that was the first one that came to mind. And like I like I said with my baby, I realized, oh my gosh, this is the the album from which I know the most lyrics <laughs> that I could sing to my daughter. <laughs> There you go. There, I mean, yeah, and it's and, listen, it's great music that will not get old. So she is in great hands. Yeah. And when you have a little baby, of course, you want to say to them, you're just too good to be true. I can't take my eyes off oh, of you. Oh, no. yes. Yes, 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 yes. I would listen to to Zion and whatever your daughter's yeah. name. I know what your daughter's name is. I don't want to say it on air, but <laughs> I would replace Zion with your daughter's name. That's just me, but that's my favorite track on that yes. entire album. So I'm just yes. up there. Oh, I love <laughs> Yeah. So what's your dream travel destination? So I have done a lot of travel. It seems like another lifetime ago, but I have not done the Mediterranean. Like I've never been to Italy or Greece or Turkey and I'll take any of those. All of the men. Just get me close. I don't care. I'll just drop me. You don't even have to tell me where you're taking me, but any one of those, I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good to me. What what would your last meal on earth be? This is also very difficult, but the first thing that came to mind was roast chicken. Ooh. Like just a homey... Just a homey, beautiful roast chicken with lemon and herbs on a in a skillet on a thing of potatoes with with I don't know some a salad, some vegetables, or something. It sounds delicious. It makes the whole house smell nice, like you know. Ah, uh, got it. I'm vegetarian, and so and my uh, partner is not a, a roast chicken person, so I'm going to take your word for it on that. Oh. It feels like it would perfume the whole house. Yes. So. I live vicariously through you in that meal. Yeah, it's funny. I, I'm mostly a veggie. And so I think maybe that's why it's, it's a treat for me because mm. I don't really cook meat very much. Um, mm-hmm. My mom makes a really nice roast chicken, so it feels very homey. If I had to go uh, vegetarian or vegan, I make a, you know, I'm, I'm Portuguese by, by descent and, um, soups are really big in my, in my culture. My, my mom's from the Azores soups are, you have soup for breakfast practically there. Um, and there's a kale soup is a very big thing in Portuguese culture. So I make a kale soup, but without the meat. So that would be my vegetarian last. Wow. Time. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I was, I went to the Canary Islands a couple of years ago oh. and we were so close to the Azores. Yeah. So it's, I, yeah, I, I didn't. Okay. I love that. I, I I had no idea that that was a a classic dish, but now I want to look deeper into it just yeah. to sort of connect me to that time of life and that trip. So thank you for that. You know, my relatives always made it with meat. What was the... It's a very, you know, meat heavy culture, but I don't... Hearty. Yeah, you don't have it. to. And it's... I just make it with kale and potatoes and white beans and carrots and... Yeah, it's lovely. Mm. Okay, new recipe to to dig into. Thank you for that. You got it. Uh, what was the last purchase that What was the last purchase that you made that really excited you? You know what? This one made me realize that I need to do some purchasing. 
I, oh, okay. <laughs> All right then. <laughs> I had like nothing. I mean, it's been very book oriented over here. It's we've been very uh, localized, locked in. Um, you know, I, I think I buy most things from my kid. I haven't bought anything fun lately, but my birthday is next week. So you've inspired me. <laughs> mm, <laughs> Tell me what so I should buy. I mean, it. What should I buy? I mean, I, I look, are you looking for a new, does mama need a new pair of shoes? Maybe. A new purse? Like that's, those are always my two go-tos. The big things. Yeah. I mean, I, I barely wear shoes these days. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would also maybe say like jewelry. Like if you want to treat yourself to a nice pair of earrings, if you're going to be doing the Zoom thing, because yeah. we're still pretty much dressing here up. So it's like, you know, like rock a, a great pair of like danglers yes. to to make everyone else a little envious. Come oh, on, you know it's your what? birthday. Like, you know. We did, we did, I did book a hotel. We haven't stayed yet, but for my birthday, we're doing a night, uh, a staycation night just here locally. Um, so there you go. Th- that's okay. I haven't, I think Staycation. the transaction hasn't gone through yet, but we'll <laughs> got it. Got it. And final question, bad days. We all have them. What is your remedy for a bad day? Oh, wait for it. Meditation. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Something told me I knew that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That or or you know, to our earlier point, like really loud, great music. And great. You know, maybe a run and shake it off. Um, but yeah, it, meditation does it is typically the go-to. If I have any prayer at sleeping on, on a bad if I've had a really bad day, if I have a prayer at going to bed, then Somewhere along the way, I have to settle down and meditate for a little bit. But but music is also such a healing property in my life. So fantastic. Well, Rebecca, I could talk to you literally all day. I feel like a new friendship has formed I do through the, the course of this conversation. Uh, but I definitely want our listeners to keep in touch with you. How can our listeners keep up with you? Where can they find you? I want all the plugs. Oh, well, thank you. I hope that you and I do keep in touch with each other. So, um, But in terms of the listeners, they can find me on social media at omgal five letters, O-M-G-A-L. And if they want to know more about the book, Still Life Book is the best place to go. It's available wherever books are sold, wherever you like to buy your books. Um, And if you like it, reviews really help. So I'd love a, a review if people read it and enjoy it. So Perfect. And I will drop links to all of this in the show notes, as well as where you can buy Rebecca's book. Shout out to HarperCollins for publishing it. Shout out to Sophia for linking us. This has been such a great chat. And again, congratulations on book number two, Rebecca. It's a great, great read and I cannot recommend it enough. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was a delightful, fun, warm-hearted, smart conversation. I've loved every second. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week. Bye, guys. 
That is our show. Thank you so much to Rebecca Pacheco. Don't forget to grab her book and follow her across all socials. I am Alana Webster on Instagram. I am at Renegade of Fun. If you would like to follow the show on socials, we are at Black and Yellow Podcast. If you want to reach out to me, tell me your deepest, darkest secrets. Just send me a fun little email. You can absolutely do that at podcastblackandyellow at gmail.com. I'll be back next week. Take it easy.